Welcome to Human Potential at Work, the show where we explore social impact, inclusion, and empowerment of everyone, including persons with disabilities. Your host is Deborah Rue, CEO of Rue Global Impact and co-founder and chairwoman of Billion Strong, an identity and empowerment organization designed to bring billions of voices of persons with disabilities together. To join the global community and to donate to the cause, visit billion-strong.org. That's billion-strong.org. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Deborah Rue, and this is Human Potential at Work. I'm really excited about my guest today. Her name is Emily Ladau, and I have known about her since she was a teenager. And I'm tracking her work, and I just thought her voice was very important and at the time, so much so that I wrote about her in two of my books because I just believe that Emily is the future. And of course, now time has passed and she's become more seasoned in her own career, even though she's still a young woman. So let me start by first giving a visual description. I am a mature woman with gray, white, and purple hair. I have on red glasses today. And I'm just really honored that Emily is on the program today. I believe I know that I've featured her in the past and I've talked about her work, but she's really grown a lot in her work and at her advocacy as well. She's actually taught me a lot over the years of how do we be a good ally, but at the same time, how do we actually sometimes be good accomplices? And that's a word that is being used in other diverse areas, but sometimes we actually have to be accomplices. And I was an accomplice the other day for a group because I knew what needed to be said, that they were not going to say it just because they were going to be too polite, but it needed to be said. Because one thing that we all have to do is support and protect each other as we're trying to change the world and, make, and help the world move forward in a more positive way. So. That's one of the many reasons why I wanted Emily to come on the show today. But also, if you're looking for gift ideas, she has a wonderful book that I highly recommend it. The book, she put it out last year around Christmas time. Great book for the holidays, but it's also, if you really care about disability inclusion and D-E-I-A, accessibility also, this is really a book that I just think is a very powerful identity type book. So Emily, welcome to the program. Thank you, Deborah. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm just so impressed. And I always have been with the work that you're doing. And I, I think you look very lovely today, too. I just want to tell you that. Thank you. And I think that's probably a good time for me to give my own visual description. Love that transition. So I am a white woman. I have brown hair pulled into a side ponytail. I'm wearing black rimmed glasses. I've got on some maroon lipstick and I have a black, white and red floral shirt on. Yes. And Emily, tell us more about who you are, because I know that you did were and you still on some of your social media platforms were you were going the words that I will buy was a term you were using, but also you do newsletters. I personally love the and so I'm hoping you're going to do this again, the holiday gift buying guide. I always enjoy that guide. So it's OK. What is Emily? slash Oprah say we need to go by today for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love your work. And I will tell you that I love her voice. I love that she's she's very professional. She's very wise. But she also will, she'll come out and do the straight talk with you as well. And there's a way 
to tell people that maybe they're not doing something right and so that they it can be heard and not seen as only a negative thing. But I think Emily has done a really good job of that. And she's actually taught me over the years some things and really done a good job on social media of just helping us all learn. And Emily, uh, that's just my opinion. But do you mind addressing that? Do you agree that is a role that you've played? You've played it for me. I think that's a really kind introduction and way to start out. So I'll share a little bit about myself as background. I am a very passionate disability rights activist. What you're not able to see in our little screen here is that I am a wheelchair user. So I was born with a physical disability and disability has always been a part of my life. But when I was younger, the biggest compliment that you could give me was to say, oh, I don't think of you as disabled or, oh, I forgot you were in a wheelchair. And over the years, I have grown into my disability identity and realized that I don't at all want to be separated from my disability, that it's very much a part of me. It's part of who I am. And now I see the role that I play as really helping to meet people where they are because we are socialized to either think about disability as a negative or not to think about disability at all. And so I want people to begin to feel comfortable talking about and thinking about disability, engaging with disabled people, recognizing that disability is a part of the fabric of humanity and that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad about that. So for me, I see myself as a bridge, if you will, to invite people into the conversation and let them know that disability is relevant to them, whether they think so or not. Simply, statistically speaking, it's not a niche issue. There's more than a billion of us around the world, as you well know, one billion strong, right? And there's one in four American adults who have a disability. So if we're looking at it just from a U.S. perspective, you or someone you know absolutely has a disability. And I am really passionate about bringing disability into the mainstream, bringing it from the margins of marginalization to something that we talk about because it's just part of who we are. I agree. I agree. And I, I know that you graciously have agreed to be a global advisor for Billion Strong. And, and I will confess to you, because I've confessed this before, one time I said to LaMondre, who is a wheelchair user, I said, I don't even see your disability. LaMondre, I don't even see it. And he said, Brooke, I need you to see all of me. Like what? So, you know, I'm a little Miss Expert. I never call myself an expert. I just want us to normalize these conversations. And I remember another time when I was speaking before a large group of people, somebody said, what, what's the number one thing that y'all think you have? What's the number one problem that you have in the disability inclusion community? And I said, I said, I would say the number one problem is that nobody wants to be part of our community. Nobody knows they're part of our community. If you do know you're part of your, our community, but you can hide it like I can, because I am, of course, if anybody's ever met me, you would think they would know, but I am a person that's neurodiverse. I have ADHD. I have to stay away from coffee. I'm too, people are like, how do you get it all done? HD certainly helps. But I also am very proud to have a lived experience as a mother of an amazing young woman that has Down syndrome. And I'm proud that, you know, of my beautiful marriage with my husband, 
who was hit by a car when he was 11 and sustained a major traumatic brain injury and yet grew up, got married, had two wonderful children, and unfortunately, dementia came for him early because his brain had been so damaged at the time. It had rewired, but unfortunately, it cut his life shorter. So what I do know is I am proudly part of this community, but Emily, 80% of our community have invisible disabilities. So I actually have to tell you when I come on stage, if you don't know me, that I have a disability. It seems to me right now, there's becoming a need to make sure that people are on the stage. I'm just using that as a, an example, that you understand disabilities on the table no matter what. And it's just got to be a little bit more deliberate, I think. And so I've been really encouraging people around my age to give the microphone to Emily, to give the microphone to others. And I was just curious how you feel about that. Because I've had some people my age say, be quiet, Deborah. There's enough chairs at the table for everybody. But the reality is I really think we have to be more deliberate right now with these identity conversations. So over to you. Yeah, I think that you're raising some incredibly important points. And nobody owes anybody information about their disability. And we can't simply assume by looking at a person that they have a disability or they don't. And I think that we have been taught to assume that someone is disabled only if we can see evidence of that. But that's not true at all. There are so many disabilities that we can't see. And so rather than assume that the default is non-disabled, why not just not make that assumption in the first place? Because someone can be disabled and you might not see that. And so I think that when it comes to being deliberate about including disabled people at the table, the really important thing is creating a space where people feel like they can disclose that if they don't have an apparent disability. Because it's true that they don't owe you that information, but if we reflect on ourselves, are we creating an environment where people feel comfortable to simply be open about who they are? And so when we're thinking about who's at the table, it's not just who's at the table, it's what is that community like at the table? Are we making that table accessible to everybody? Are we making that conversation accessible to everybody? Are we handing the microphone to people who really need to be a part of that conversation? And are we ensuring that everybody has a chance to speak up? We need to focus on in society when it comes to advocacy, storytelling, allyship, and even being accomplices for each other. I think first and foremost, we need to not be afraid to have conversations about disability. What is most important to me is recognizing that every issue is a disability issue because every issue impacts the disability community. And so when it comes to topics or themes, my broad answer is everything. But if we want to narrow it down more to the stories that we need to tell, I think it's so important to be talking about how we are included in education, in employment, in healthcare, in socialization, in access to voting rights, in every area of life. 
I'm a big believer in the power of storytelling specifically. And so I think that it's one thing to be able to provide data or statistics or numbers. But if we are talking about our personal encounters with inaccessibility, with ableism, that's how we really create those connections with people and get them to understand the urgency of why we need to create a more accessible world. Oh, that that is such a beautiful statement first. Wow. Totally agree with you. Emily, one thing that I find a lot when I'm going out and about in the world is that the advocates, the allies in the States are very strong. And I find them very strong in the UK. So interesting work happening all over the world, Australia. But in many countries, people with disabilities have no voice. And I remember when I was starting Billion Strong, I had reached out to some Americans and they said, what's Billion Strong going to do to make sure that we're not disenfranchised and we're not excluded? And, and I knew as an American what they were saying, are we going to sue each other? And I said, Billion Strong is not, that's not what Billion Strong is about. Billion Strong is really celebrating our identities, looking at who we are, understanding the differences. I said, but at the same time, I personally believe Americans need to be braver because you know, what's happening outside our borders to people, to our colleagues, to our community with disabilities is chilling. People are killed sometimes because they have disabilities. They're born with disabilities. It's a curse. It, it, there's just so many things that happen around the world where people decide people with disabilities are the very lowest among us, which is ridiculous and not true at all. But I was just curious, what do you have to say, Emily, to people outside the U.S. that are living with disabilities? What can they learn from the fights, the efforts we're making, and what obligation do we have as Americans to reach out to our fellow people outside the United States to make sure people with disabilities are more meaningfully included in society? I think there are so many opportunities for cross-cultural learning. And I always give the caveat when I am speaking that I am a white woman with a physical disability who was born in the United States who has not experienced things like food insecurity or housing insecurity, who has had a very supportive family and who has had a relatively stable upbringing. And so I cannot speak to experiences outside my own as a disabled person. And I always remind people that if you've met one disabled person, you've met one disabled person. And there's no way that I can be the expert on anyone's disability experience other than my own disability experience. And so when it comes to thinking about disability, people in the United States especially have this very American-centric view of disability. We are socialized to think about disability as only impacting us, and we don't recognize that there are so many other cultural factors and countries outside of our own that impact the disability experience. And so as challenging as it is for so many of us to navigate accessibility issues, to navigate issues of exclusion, segregation, discrimination, those issues are often increased tenfold and more in other countries around the world where disability is not as recognized or accepted as part of our humanity. But at the same time, even though there are technically things, yes, that other countries can learn from the work that the disability rights movement within the United States and now the disability justice movement has done 
to create a more accessible and inclusive world, we also cannot assume that we should just impose our own cultural views on other countries because that's simply not how the world should be working, right? We all have different ways of navigating our cultural experiences, our disability experiences. And so for me, it's so important that as someone who has my specific experience as a disabled American, that I'm not saying this is the only correct experience of disability. There is no one correct experience of disability. There is no one right way to talk about or think about disability. It's so deeply personal. And so for me, even though I am an expert in my experiences, and even though I have a strong understanding of U.S. history of the disability rights movement, I also recognize that I have more learning that I need to do to ensure that I'm understanding how disability is perceived across countries and cultures. Oh, sad, sad. And one thing that we're seeing, we are seeing progress. There's a lot of stuff to do. We've got so much work to do, but we are seeing some progress. I personally really love that the Valuable 500 got 500 corporations to agree to include us. Okay, great. I love the work that Disability In is doing, that Business Disability Forum. That there's so many groups doing powerful work. But now we have all these CEOs at the table saying, okay, fine, we'll include you. And I see some of the recommendations that we made that were that are being thrown out there not being as robust as I think they need to be. And I know I've heard people say things like, I went out onto the, I'll just pick on the Valuable 500, which I love Caroline Casey, but I went out on the Valuable 500 and I saw all the CEOs out there and I sent an email to every single one of those CEOs. I didn't get any replies. All right. If anybody ever noticed how the world works, the CEO is at the top of the company and they have all kinds of other people working there that are actually doing those jobs. So I don't think the person to reach out to is the CEO. I think you should actually be reaching out to whoever is handling disability inclusion and accessibility in the firm. I, I'm making an assumption you have people doing that. But at the same time, one thing I'd like to really say to these corporations is make sure you're inviting people like Emily to speak for you, to talk to you, to explain her vision of where she's been and where she's going. It's just so important that we bring in different people with different types of lived experiences with disabilities, as you were saying, Emily, if you've met a person with disabilities once, you've met one person with a disability, but at the same time, I will tell you that when my daughter was born with Down syndrome and they told me, I thought she was the first person I'd ever met with a disability. And I really, no, that was ridiculous. But there was, I just didn't know. There's so much we don't know. So as we try to figure out what this means, Emily, what does it mean to normalize people having disabilities? How do we do it? How do we come together? Especially there are some people that are so mad about all this that you say the wrong word on any type of social media and they come for you. They, and, and I've had people say to me, I'll say this to you, Emily, because it's going to make you laugh. I've had people say to me, you Americans, you, you Americans allies, y'all are just so in our face and it's tired of it. We're tired of being left out. But I was just wondering what you have to say about that, because sometimes 
if we're too quick to criticize, we just scare people so bad and they run away and say, okay. So I was just wondering what your advice would be, especially to these corporations that want to truly include us in a really powerful, meaningful way. How do we begin, Emily? I love that you are thinking about how we can better engage with one another. And I think it's true that in so many ways, we are very quick to criticize one another. But I think that comes from a place of feeling like we are not seen and like we are not heard and like we are not recognized and understood. And so I deeply feel that we need to start opening up dialogue rather than jumping on one another because language is very personal and identity is very personal. And so for me, it's really all about creating those connections where we can say, I choose to identify in this way. I respect that you choose to identify in another way. Let's meet in the middle and acknowledge that there isn't a right answer here. And then in terms of how we can expand the conversation around disability, especially when it comes to workplaces, I think it's so important that we have that buy-in from the bottom up and from the top down. And so when you were mentioning before people reaching out to CEOs, I think that it's so important that every person at an organization is willing to take the time to have these conversations about disability, to recognize that it's not just one person's issue. While it's great progress if an organization has someone who is in charge of disability inclusive hiring. I love that for them, but I also see that as being a first step. I see that as being one action that a company can take to expand towards creating buy-in from every single person at an organization. Hey, if somebody says, I'm going to reach right out to the CEO, I really hope that CEO values disability inclusion just as much as that entry-level employee who just started working there two weeks ago. And so I think we have to look at disability as something that should be important to everybody. Because when we silo it, when we look at it in a vacuum, when we say, I'm only going to talk about disability in this meeting. I'm only going to talk about it when it's relevant to our DEI conversations, when it's relevant to our HR conversations. We are missing the bigger picture. We are missing that opportunity to meet each other where we're at and to actually create a meaningfully inclusive environment for everybody. I agree. Very well said. And what about the intersections? I know that's something that we're, we're talking a lot about, certainly in the States and in other countries. But how important is this to care about other diverse groups that are also fighting their own battles? Some of their battles are the same as our battles. I think it's essential. And this goes back to the reminder that I give people that I am a white woman with a physical disability. And so my experiences are different than someone who's a person of color with a disability, somebody who is transgender and has a disability, right? My experiences are my own. And I never proclaim to speak for anybody else when it comes to how I talk about disability. If we're just bringing me to the table, as an example, who's missing? So many people are missing from the conversation. So I always try to decenter myself 
yes, I'm one person who talks about disability, but I'm not the authority. There are so many other conversations that need to be had about disability because disability intersects and overlaps with all other identity groups. Yep. And the disability community holds every identity group. And so we need to recognize that there's no singular experience of disability, but instead there's so many voices, so many perspectives that we should be bringing to the table. And if we're not doing that, we're missing the bigger picture. Disability is not its own issue. Disability is very much relevant to every other conversation that we are having. Oh, I so agree with you. I so agree with you. And it's sad to me. There's lots of things that make me sad, but it's sad that if you are a brown or black woman with a disability, especially a visible disability, you are not going to be treated as well as a person that's white. And I've had leaders say to me, all of the allies are all white. And it's sadly, that is very true. We do not have enough diversity. We don't have enough diversity. We don't have enough people talking about this. But at the same time, I think talking about it thoughtfully, like you are, Emily, and making sure everyone's included, that's one way to start making sure that we are bringing in everybody into these conversations. And I also want to say, I'm not, and I know that my audit, the audience is probably going to agree with this, but we're not trying to complicate these issues, but the reality is these are very complicated, nuanced issues. Talk about technology for all. We know how to build technology that is fully accessible. But as Emily was saying earlier in the interview, we are the ones that get impacted. The disability community gets impacted more when we start making bad legislative decisions, when we start not making our technology accessible because it's too much trouble. We know how to do all of this. This is not like in the early days, 30 years ago, when we didn't really know how to make websites accessible. We're not really sure how to make, what is an app? We didn't even have apps 30 years ago. So we know how to do it now, but I still don't see enough will. And I still think there is so much confusion, Emily, about what does it mean to have a disability? Are you broken if you have a disability as society wants to treat us? And so that's, once again, one reason why I love the work that you're doing where you, and I put it, I'm just saying this for you, but I think you're sort of normalizing disabilities in your book, like demystifying disabilities. So do you mind telling us more about your book? Why did you write it? Why did you think you needed to write it? How has it been ex accepted? I will give you a little. She has 463 positive reviews on Amazon. <laughs> What's saying? <laughs> wow. So for me, I am very passionate about giving people the tools that they need to be able to have these conversations. And so I see my book, Demystifying Disability, as my offering to a much bigger conversation. And my hope is that people will see it as a friendly and approachable and judgment-free zone where they can get a little bit of information that they need to really dive into these conversations. I see it as being that 101 and that primer, but I don't see it as being the Bible on disability or the encyclopedia of disability. Certainly, it's, it's just one person's perspective, but I hope that it gives people 
what they need to feel more comfortable engaging in conversation around disability. Because as you were mentioning before, there is the societal perception that disabled people are broken, that we are in need of fixing, that we are pitiful, that we are tragic, that we are the victim. And I really encourage people to move beyond these notions, to move beyond these stigma and these stereotypes that we are taught to think are acceptable because there's nothing broken about someone with a disability. In fact, it's society that is broken because they are putting up the barriers rather than taking them down. And in terms of creating more opportunities for disabled people and more pathways for those opportunities. I so often say that you can create a policy, but you can't legislate an attitude. And so, yes, we have fantastic policies in place in so many ways that disabled people have fought for, but we still need that attitude shift 30 years after the passage of the ADA. And I think that it's really important to understand that the work of disability rights is not past tense. It's very much present tense. It's very much ongoing. And not only that, but we need to recognize whose voices are not part of these conversations. And that's where the work of disability justice comes in. So I really encourage people to expand their knowledge and their thinking beyond just reading about disability rights and move forward and look ahead to learning about disability justice. And there's a really fantastic primer. It's called Skin, Tooth, and Bone. The basis of our movement is our people. And it's from Sins Invalid. And it talks so much about disability justice and how the disability rights movement has for so long centered only certain people and how in order to further our rights and in order to further justice, we really need to be bringing everyone into the conversation and not simply centering the same voices that we have heard over and over again. I so agree with that. I so agree with that. And I don't know about that book, but I love the name of the book. So I will check it out. Yeah, I love it. But I want to talk a little bit more about you before we before we leave the program. So I would like to know if I'm in a corporation, I'm trying to figure it out or any other, what kind of, what, are you a consultant? Do you, will you come in and will you help us? I'd like to know things like that. I also am a newsletter subscriber to you and I love your newsletter. I love when I get your, I'm just, I, that's what I call it a newsletter, but I find it packed with so much great information. And so I also was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that and also your holiday gift guides because holidays are here, Emily, but I would make some assumptions about how a uh, corporation could reach out to you and work with you. But instead of doing that, why don't you tell us? Yeah. So I would say probably the easiest and most centralized place to find me is just my website. It's emilyladow.com. But that being said, there's lots of places that you can find me online. I am particularly passionate about Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. I love using social media to engage and to learn from other people. And so you're welcome to connect with me there. I definitely do both consulting and speaking, whether it comes to 
a long-term commitment where you are focusing on creating a more accessible and inclusive workplace, or you're looking to bring in a speaker to have a conversation. I always make a joke that people love to bring me in as a speaker around National Disability Employment Awareness Month, or they like to bring me in around the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. But I am also a disabled person in February and in August. So I'm happy to come have a conversation with you and your colleagues and your team anytime to get that conversation going wherever you are on that learning journey. And then in terms of connecting with me through my newsletter, yes, once a month, I do send out a newsletter called Words I Wheel By. And it's just a little bit of insight from me and a lot of links that I find around the internet about disability issues so that you can further your own learning. And then also a little bit of a media critique each month where I highlight something that I watched that month that had some kind of disability representation, good or bad, just so that we can all expand our thinking on disability. And I love doing that. It's a fun way to educate. I also have a podcast called The Accessible Stall, and I co-host it with one of my best friends, Kyle. And I love doing that because it's really a chance to dive deep into disability issues. And then finally, because I can't believe that we really are coming up on the holidays. But since 2014, I have been putting out a disability holiday gift guide that features disabled creators. So this one's is coming out really soon. It's right around the corner. So stay tuned for the 2022 one so that you can support entrepreneurs and creators with disabilities. I agree. And I also want to say, Emily, I'll speak for Emily. Emily would love to come and speak for you, but please don't ask her to do it for free. Please don't. Please don't ask her to do it for free. She actually (laughs) And we're just, it's, no. Please pay her well to come and speak to you. You see how intelligent and how brilliant she is, but we're tired of everything being for free. So I just wanted to say that to you. But so Emily, on the so the very pl- best place to go is Emily E M I L Y L A D A U dot com, yes. and you can see all of her social media handles. You can find her book. The book is on Amazon. She is available. We are so thrilled. She's an advisor for Billion Strong. You see why? She really, I think she's changing the world. So I just am so grateful for you, Emily, and I definitely wanted to highlight you again on the program because I love your voice and I love your work. So. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. And let me give you the last words. I just wanted to say thank you for having me. And I hope that wherever you are in this process of learning about disability, engaging about disability, whether you have a disability or not, that I am just one stop on that broader journey and that you're going to keep going. Very well said. Thanks to the audience. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to Human Potential at Work. To learn more about Rue Global Impact, visit rueglobal.com. And to learn more about Billion Strong, an identity and empowerment organization designed to bring the billions of voices of persons with disabilities together, you can join the global community and donate at billion-strong.org. That's billion-strong.org.